0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our living and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from Psalm, Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. We have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We have finished our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So far, the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. How many of you really enjoy your job? Some people really like their jobs, others not so much. Moses was one who didn't really want to do the job God had given to him. Perhaps you remember when God came to him at the burning bush, Moses argued with God until God finally had to rebuke him. And as much as Moses didn't want to be the leader of God's people, even more so we see in our text he didn't want to be the one who gave God's people the law. The Apostle John tells us in his gospel, John one seventeen, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God appointed Moses as the giver of the law. And because God told him to do it, because he must do it, he did it. He brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain. And in our psalm that is before us today as well, he preaches the law. And all its force and all its strength. And the consequences of the law, the consequences of our sin, death. But before he preaches the law, he warns us, to take refuge in Christ. In his introduction to Psalm 90, Martin Luther says that in this psalm, Moses is being his most Moses-ish. That's not exactly how he wrote it. He wrote it in German, but it's kind of my translation for you. He is preaching the law to its full effect. Death is on full display. He's not hiding it. We like to hide death underground. We like to hide it underneath flowers and perfume. We like to do our best to mitigate the effects of death in our lives so we don't have to look at the result of our sin. Moses does not hide it. He shows it to us in all its ugliness. But before he warns us, this isn't going to be pleasant, learn to take refuge in Christ. Moses is like one of those speakers at a government testing facility, warning, the nuclear bomb's about to go off, make sure you take cover. And you need to be covered, you need to take cover behind something strong, something impenetrable, preferably something far away. Take cover in Christ. And Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The word dwelling place obviously means place where you live, place where you dwell. But it's not the normal Hebrew word for house, maybe some of you remember the normal Hebrew word for house is the word Beth, as in Bethel, house of God. But here we have the word Moan, not Moana, although phonetically close. Moan, meaning more than house or home, secret dwelling place, refuge, strong fortress. Not just a place where you live, but a place where you are safe. Safe from the condemnation of God's law. Safe from that bomb that's about to go off. And Moses is speaking specifically about Christ here. He's not, when he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, he's not just talking about God in general, but he's speaking specifically about Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.3, your life is hidden with Christ, safe and secure with him. And Jesus tells us in John 15.4, abide in me. Place your heart, place your dwelling place in me where you are safe and secure. Maybe you remember as kids building snow forts. Maybe you even threw snowballs at other kids and then hid behind the walls of the snow fort. Maybe you even taunted the other kids, ha ha, you can't get me. And then the other kids probably walked around behind the snow fort and pelted you with snowballs. Christ is a greater refuge, a greater fortress than any snow fort we may have had as a kid. Hidden behind him, we can taunt the law and Satan. Ha ha, you can't get me. Because Christ is our secure refuge, our great hiding place. Christ is the only refuge we have from the law and from the consequences of our sin, which is death. Verse 3 of our text. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. The wages of our sin is death, as Scripture makes it very clear. God told Adam in the garden, In the day that you eat from the fruit of the tree, you shall surely die. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so many people assume that this verse here also is speaking about that same returning to dust that God spoke about after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And many translations even translate it that way. You say to man, return to dust. Dust, but it's a different Hebrew word. It's not the word for dust or earth, like we have in Genesis chapter three, but rather the Hebrew word for pulverize, destroy, grind to dust. So it can be translated dust in that sense. But God isn't here talking about the grave, or He's not primarily talking about the grave, but He's talking about living with death in our lives. The suffering and hardship, the destruction that is a part of this life the weight of our sin and and trouble that presses down on us in this life. As someone once said, dying is easy, it's living that's hard. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Our days on this earth are short and filled with suffering and affliction and trouble by the decree of God's law because of our sins. God told Adam and Eve that when they eat from the fruit of the tree, you shall surely die. One student of scripture correctly notes that this ought to be translated, dying you shall die. It's not a one-time event, but an ongoing process. We live with death, and the longer we live, the more death we live with. But in the midst of this death, what does God say to us? Return. Return, O children of men. That is to say, return from the dead and live. Return from the suffering of this life and come home to your true home, the, the dwelling place that was yours from all generations. Return from the uselessness of this life and find your life in Christ Jesus, where it is safe and secure. In our Gospel reading, Jesus tells the apostles that it's easier for a camel to go through the through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He does not mean to suggest that it's easy for a poor man to enter the kingdom, it's just only hard for, for a rich man. But rather he explains to the apostles later what does this mean? It means that with man it's impossible, rich or poor, high or lowly, powerful or weak, it doesn't matter. For man it is impossible to return to God, to live in God. Yet, Christ goes on, with man it's impossible, but all things are possible for God. God gives the command here, return, O children of man. It's a command that we cannot obey, yet at his word, we do live in him. Jesus spoke to the lame, those for whom it was impossible to walk, and said, walk, and they walked. Jesus spoke to the blind, those, who, those for whom it was impossible to see, and at his command they saw. And Jesus spoke to the dead, and at his word, the impossible happened, they lived. God commands to us, the dead, rise and live, return to your home, and at his command, what is impossible becomes possible we return from death to life in christ verse 11 who knows the power of your anger what a wonderful thing it is that we do not know the power of god's anger we have never experienced it ourselves have we we've seen it in part as god pours it out on others we see it part, not the full anger of God, but part of the anger of God in the day of Noah when he poured out his wrath upon the wickedness of the people of that day and sent a flood that destroyed all men except Noah and his family because of their wickedness. And our wickedness is not less than their wickedness. Our day and our society is not less than the evilness of that society. Yet we, we see the, wicked, the, the power of God's anger poured out on them, but we do not experience it ourselves. We see, in part, God's anger poured out on the sons of Korath. Maybe you remember the sons of Korath who spoke against Moses and didn't want to, to follow God's appointed leader. And so God opened up the earth beneath their feet and they were swallowed as judgment upon them. And who among us has always obeyed? Who among us has never rebelled against God's appointed leaders? Yet we see that anger in part, but have not experienced it ourselves. We, in part, we see God's anger in the story of Jonah, when Jonah was tossed into the sea and swallowed by the fish because he didn't want to do what God said. And who among us has always done what God has said? This morning we heard the children singing, let none hear you idly sing, there is nothing I can do. And who among us has given ourselves, done what we can to spread the gospel, to share that beautiful message of Christ. And yet we we see the anger, but we have not experienced it. We have not experienced it because we have taken refuge in Christ hidden behind him who took the full force of God's power, God's, the power of God's anger upon himself, and we sit safe and secure in that strong refuge. Christ knows the power of God's anger. We do not. This is why Moses tells us in the next verse, so learn to count your days so that you may have a heart of wisdom. You know, when you're counting something, the beginning and the end don't matter, do they? What matters, or sorry, the the beginning and the middle don't matter. What matters is the end. The last number is what matters. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight pieces of pizza. Eight is the important number. And if there's only two of you, that's a good number. If there's only one of you, it's an even better number, right? The beginning and the middle don't matter. It's the result, the last number that matters. We can't count our days. We can't start with our birth and say, okay, I'm going to have 5,000 days of my life. We don't know when our lives are going to end. In that sense, we can't count our days. But we do know the last number. We do know the result of our lives. Moses, that's what Moses is talking about. He's, He's talking about considering, thinking about, looking at the result of our lives so that we may learn wisdom, the wisdom to hide behind Christ. Those who don't consider the end the result of their lives often don't see the need for Christ. Those who care about the things of this world and don't consider the end of this world don't seek refuge in Christ. They come out, and even though God's warning is blaring, the bomb's about to go off, they come out from behind Christ and are swept away in the blast of God's law. That's the wisdom that Moses is talking about here. The wisdom of looking at the end. Considering the end, not being so obsessed with what's going on right now and how much money I have and how great my house is and how many boats I have, the things of this life, but considering the end and knowing the wisdom that is hiding in Christ, repenting of our sins and finding refuge in Christ. Verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long? It's really a painful thing when you sit on your hand or leg wrong and they fall asleep and then you have to wake it up or you sleep on your hand or leg wrong and then you have to wake it up in the morning and it's all tingling. It's not really a very pleasant feeling. It's an even more unpleasant feeling when God wakes us from the dead to life in him. The sensation, the feeling is returning, the desire to be with God. God says to us, return, O children of man." He wakes us from the dead. He gives us the desire to be with him, to walk with him. He gives us the desire to return to our heavenly home instead of this one. But we're not there yet, are we? He gives us the desire to walk with him as he walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden, but he doesn't walk with us as he walked with them. And so we're we're left hungering. He he calls us to return to him, and then Moses says, how long, how long do I have to wait? He teaches us to desire him, but the desire is not yet filled. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We hunger for God, but it's not supper time yet. Like children who smell their mom's cooking, and that smell awakens the, the desire, the hunger in them, and yet mom says it's going to be another hour. You have to wait. It's going to take three hours for the asapuca to cook. You have to wait. In Christ, in part, Christ gives does give himself to us even now in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in his word, he does come to us in part. But these are mere appetizers, mere snacks to help us, to strengthen us, to hold us over as we wait, as we desire the feast of the Lamb, which is to come in our heavenly home. How long, Moses pleads with God. Having been wakened from death, how long must we wait for your return? And not only Moses, but Paul and all the saints pray also in the New Testament. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our heart is wakened and it is painful as we feel our sin and yet must wait for the fulfillment of God's righteousness in our lives. Yet when he does come, What glory, what joy will be ours. Verses 16 to 17. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Moses desired not to be a preacher of the law, he desired to see and hear the glory of God's gospel. He desired to see the fulfillment of the work of God's hands, the bringing of God's salvation. We have seen what Moses did not. We have seen the fulfillment of God's work, the fulfillment of God's salvation. We have seen the glory of the Lord shine upon us here in the cross of Jesus Christ. He is our refuge in all the troubles of this life and especially from the condemnation of our sin. Let us pray. Let the glory of your work, O Lord, shine in our hearts until we come into the fullness of your salvation. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.